Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Good morning. Um, the first quote I have um, uh, is, is from Martin Luther King Jr., and he says this, The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And as we get into our message for today, I want to just kind of unpack that with you, not Martin Luther King's words, but what does it mean to really stand in the face of controversy and conflict. Our brothers and sisters across the globe today, specifically in Israel, are dealing with some pretty major catastrophe. Um, it is, in essence, their 9-11 experience. What happened last weekend with Hamas uh, storming in and, and wreaking havoc on, uh, on the people of Israel. And so uh, we stand with them, we pray for them, as they go through a difficult time and knowing truly how to address the evil that has fallen on their shores, if you will. But we also, as brothers and sisters in Christ, struggle with the reality of conflict and controversy on a regular basis, do we not? Uh, we, we are a part of a nation that is free and has uh, a bill of rights that shows us that our freedoms are from God and God alone. And those freedoms, however, seem to be in jeopardy. And what we used to be able to take for granted as the church and our culture and as people of faith, we can no longer take for granted anymore. Now, granted, we aren't suffering persecution the way most of Christians in some far-off reaches of the globe are, but we do struggle uh, with the realities of evil in this present world. And so what do we do with that? How do we overcome that? How do we deal with that? Uh, I want to be able to talk a little bit about that today. And I, I want to talk about that today from a passage of Scripture, which is a miracle of Jesus that is one of those that most pastors would like to skip over. Uh, it is a passage where Jesus basically infers that this Gentile woman is a dog. And it's complicated on the surface, but we're going to dig into it today and find out really what's going on in this passage of Scripture. And is Jesus really calling this woman a dog? And did dog mean something different 2,000 years ago than it does today? We're going to unpack that. The miracle of Jesus we come to is actually in a couple Gospels, Matthew chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7. I'm going to be actually leaning more on Matthew's Gospel than on Mark's, but I'm going to read both of them for you today. And so let's uh, jump in right now, if you can, to Matthew chapter 15. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it reads like this. Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Galilee is the northern part of Israel. Uh, well, in that day, it would have been under Roman rule and control. Israel wasn't a nation after the destruction of 
the temple in 70, or actually they weren't a nation until from Babylon, when Babylon came in and overthrew the kingdom, then Medo-Persians came in, then the Greeks came in, then the Romans came in. Israel wouldn't be a nation again until 1947, 48. Uh, and, and so they are still a people without a nation during the time of Christ. The region of Galilee is where Jesus grew up. He was born in Bethlehem, spent a couple of years in Egypt with mom and dad, fleeing from the horrors of an, uh, a, a, a king that was trying to kill him, and then eventually moved back to Galilee, which is a region and a specific city in that region known as Nazareth. And while he was there growing up, he knew the area very well. But with his disciples now, as he set out on his ministry journeys through that region and other areas, he ends up going north to Tyre and Sidon, which is a completely and thoroughly Gentile region. What do I mean by Gentile? The Jews concentrated in Galilee and in Judea and around Jerusalem during Jesus' day, even though many of them still were dispersed throughout the empire of Rome. However, Tyre and Sidon were an area that were thoroughly Greek, thoroughly pagan, if you will. <clears throat> Actually, the woman that he comes upon is not just Gentile. It seems as though she has a lineage from the Canaanites, according to tradition and most scholars. The Canaanites were no friends of the Jews, by the way. If you read through the Old Testament, you see the Canaanites were the ones who were in the land before the Israelites came into the promised land. And they drove the Canaanites out. The Canaanites were very evil and wicked people in many respects. Flash forward now to Jesus. He goes to this region. Why does he go to this region? Most scholars think he went to this region because most people would not know him. He wanted to spend time alone with the disciples. He wanted to spend time alone with the Father. And so he had been busy in ministry up to this point and needed a break. How many of you go on holiday or vacation just to get away from the crowds for a little bit to kind of recenter yourselves? So it's thought that Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon because nobody there is going to know him. He won't amass crowds and he could spend time alone training the disciples. A Gentile woman, however, who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. In Matthew's gospel, it says, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Sounds rude, doesn't it? Somebody talks to you, some of the, one of the things we tell our kids, somebody talks to you, you respond to them. Look up, look into their eye, and talk to them. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. And Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said, 
Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. So Mark 7, how does Mark 7 read? Reads like this, starting with verse 24. Jesus left Galilee, went north to the region of Tyre. He, went, he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. <laughs> right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, first, I should feed the children my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from, food from children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in the bed, and the demon was gone. Joan Patch said, superheroes are only shown as superheroes when they find themselves in super challenging situations that have to call upon superpowers to overcome super difficulties. Otherwise, they look just like ordinary folk. And though it's difficult to comprehend in our, <laughs> in our mindset right now what's really going on in this passage, is this the Jesus we've come to know and love? I mean, if you were to read that at face value, you'd never read anything else about Jesus. This is the only thing you ever read. What kind of picture would you get of Jesus? Based on the Gospels, we see him being harsh with the religious leaders that should have known better, but not those who didn't know any better. And the Gentile woman wasn't raised in the synagogue. She, she wasn't raised with the Jewish understanding of God, but what does she come claiming what does she call Jesus when she first comes to him? <laughs> if you look, uh, I'm jumping ahead. We'll get there. Here's the key point. When kindness is tested, kindness always prevails. So what's really going on in this passage? Was Jesus being mean or is there something else more going on in this passage? Let's look and break it down really quickly this morning. A Gentile woman approaches Jesus for deliverance for her daughter. That's the first point. There's a clear indication that this woman wasn't merely just a Gentile, but she was a Gentile believer in Yahweh. She comes claiming the title of Jesus as being Lord, Son of David. <clears throat> so, 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 the Gentiles wouldn't have, understand, uh, have understood Jewish history that well. The Jews would have understood Jewish history. To make a claim that Jesus is the son of David is to proclaim that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. But what did Jesus' own people say about him? Specifically, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders and teachers of the law. What did they claim about Jesus? Well, let's take a look. Matthew 15, starting with verse 1. Let's back up in the story a bit. 
Matthew 15, verse 1. Some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law now will arrive from Jerusalem to see Jesus. So just before he goes to Tyre and Sidon and he interfaces with this Gentile woman, he has an interaction with the religious leaders. They ask him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now this isn't hand-washing like we do to get ready for a meal. This was ceremonial. This wasn't for hygiene. It was a tradition of ceremonial cleansing before they would eat food. In case they had carried in the dirtiness of the world on their person, spiritually speaking. They were to cleanse themselves before they did that. And so they had a ritual they would go through. Jesus' disciples obviously didn't do that, or they didn't do it whenever the Pharisees and religious leaders were watching. They ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? Jesus didn't answer their question directly. What's he do? They say, why do your disciples violate the traditions, our long, age-old traditions of washing your hands ceremonially before you eat? And Jesus is saying, well, why do you disobey God's commands? Now, Jesus wasn't trying to gain fans among those who hated him. He wasn't trying to please them. He wasn't trying to get them to love him. He was directly addressing the problem at hand. For instance, Jesus goes on to say, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give, what God, to, give to God what I, have, what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. So there was a thing going on in Jesus' day where um, the religious leaders were claiming that it was okay to keep the apportionment of their monies to glorify God with. And they negated the direct law of God to honor mother and father. And honoring means to take care of their mother and father. To respect them to the point of even passing from this life into life everlasting. Do you see the stark contrast? They're pointing out that Jesus' disciples don't ceremonially wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus is saying... And you don't honor your mothers and fathers. Which one's more important? Jesus is really trying to ask them and put them on the spot. Really, what is more important? Ceremonially clean hands or taking care of your mom and dad? You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Could that be said of us today? Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Could that be said of us today? Within the church? 
How do our churches teach? What do they teach? Do they teach traditions and man-made things, or do they teach the Word of God in all of its fullness, even when it's hard and complicated? This woman had more faith than those who knew more than she did intellectually. The religious leaders who knew the word of God better than anyone else lacked faith and understanding necessary to receive Christ as a long-awaited Messiah in the line of King David. But this Gentile woman understood clearly who Jesus was, and because of her faith, she would see miracles. The next thing we see in this passage is that Jesus' initial silence is followed by a test. We don't like silence. Our culture is full of noise. Silence makes us feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? But silence can be very, very powerful. Jesus when he stood before his accusers after being arrested for crimes that he didn't commit, stood silent before his accusers. There's a couple of reasons to stand silent. The reason I believe Jesus was silent when he was arrested before he was crucified was because he knew no words that he would speak would change their minds. Have you ever been silent? Or not responded because you knew the person or the group you were talking to was not going to be convinced by what you'd say, even if it was the truth? Have you ever said, why do I waste my breath? So that's one form of silence. The other form of silence is a test. Teachers use this masterfully. They will ask their class a question, and they will let it linger in silence how many of you are uncomfortable in those moments (laughs) right and so if you're a good teacher you will outweigh the rest of your class because you know the answer to the question but you want to see if anybody else knows it so then now let's Compare and contrast this to the current situation. Jesus is confronted by this woman. She calls him the Christ, the son of David. Have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. And Jesus is silent. And I believe his silence wasn't because he knew that she wouldn't listen to what he'd have to say, but I think he was testing her. Because consider the contrast of this Gentile woman from a pagan nation standing in front of a Jewish Messiah. The Jewish people hated the Gentiles. Do you know what the Jewish people called the Gentiles? Dogs. And do you see the imagery that's now starting to pop up here? And then after his silence, the disciples speak up because they don't like the uncomfortableness of the silence. Jesus sent her away. 
She's annoying us, basically. Isn't it funny to assume that you know something through somebody's silence? Oh, their silence must mean. I think the disciples were thinking, Jesus is annoyed by this woman or he would have spoken to her. His silence must mean, all right, Jesus, send her away. Her begging is really bothering us. But Jesus doesn't avoid uncomfortable situations. Actually, Jesus causes a lot of uncomfortable situations. Would you agree? Jesus puts us in situations oftentimes where we have to sit in the discomfort of the moment to test and see really where our faith is. Where were the disciples' faith? In that moment of silence, didn't look like they had much. The woman had more faith than the religious leaders in the previous section, and, they ha- and, and the woman had more faith than the disciples in that moment. So instead of pushing her away, Jesus puts her to a test. Jesus has a clear objective for his ministry. It is true that the Messiah would come through the line of David, through the Jewish people. If you go all the way back to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, when God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans into a land that he will show them him, he's telling Abraham, I want to build a nation of chosen people from your lineage. Your descendants will outnumber the stars of the sky and the grains of sand on the earth, and it's through you that all nations will be blessed. And now, flash forward through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then the line of David to Mary and Joseph. And Mary, the virgin, conceives a child by the power of the Holy Spirit on her, And the blessing to the nations is fulfilled through Christ. This one child, the promise is fulfilled and he comes. But he comes to the nation of Israel. You say, but he did come for everybody else. Yes, but what was his mission? As the Jewish Messiah, he came to show them everything that God had promised them was true. Did they pass the test or did they fail it when push came to shove? They failed. They put their own Messiah on trial. The religious leaders were constantly trying to find a way to get Jesus entrapped into some thing that they could charge him with so that they could have him arrested. Finally, when they thought they had had the right kind of evidence, they took him, arrested him, and tried him in the Jewish court called the Sanhedrin. And they got him to say a few words, even in the midst of all of that silence, which claimed who he was and who he always claimed he was. And they pulled their cloaks and tore their clothing 
as if to show they were grieving at the fact that Jesus had blasphemed himself, which was worthy of stoning to death. But by that time, the religious leaders are not a nation. They cannot abide by their own laws to enact capital punishment, and so they take him before the Roman government there in Judea. Governor Pilate is there. You see, the ones who should have known better didn't. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. They rejected him outright. But Jesus is testing this woman. So what are we to make of the dialogue between children and dogs? Did Jesus really derogatorily call this woman a dog? As is often there is, there's more to the story than meets the eye. Especially with Jesus' parables and teachings. The Jews often referred to the Gentiles, as I mentioned, as dogs and not affectionately. There were the dogs that roamed the streets. If you've been to any third world country, you'll find out that there are these pitiful looking dogs. We've been to Guatemala, Uganda. These are not house pets. These are the ones that roam the streets. They're wild, they're feral. But then you have the dogs that are domesticated, that are in the home. There's two different distinctions. The Gentiles viewed the, excuse me, the Jews viewed the Gentiles as the rabid dogs that roam the streets. Jesus is not referring in the same way. It's referring, the terminology is a pet. Not that the Gentiles are pets, but they are a part of the home. This is what he's talking about. He's using the same language that the Jews use against the Gentiles, but he's rephrasing it. He's helping them to understand. He's helping this lady understand, so you're part of the home, but I've got to feed the children first. And she wisely responds with what? But even the dogs get to eat the scraps. She could have been discouraged. She could have said, well, I need to be first. My child is sick. What's wrong with you? You think I'm a pet? That's not what he was calling her. But he was actually trying to shift the conversation to dig into and unpack. Is this woman coming to me because she's heard that I'm a faith healer and she can get what she needs from this faith healer? Or does she really believe in who I am? She came right away with the title. Did somebody tell her the title, Son of David? Or did she learn that because of faith? Do you see what's happening here? What are you here for? Are you here for a handout? Are you truly just a beggar? Are you here for life transformation? When Jesus finally responds to her, there seems to be a twofold meaning in his response. Firstly, Jesus was explaining that his mission was specifically and initially to the Jewish people, and this is true. The Jewish people were promised a Messiah would come from the line of David to set the captives free. This Jewish king slash Messiah would be a first a liberator of the Jewish people and, in effect, a liberator of the rest of the world. By default, the Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled through him. The second thing is Jesus seemed 
to be using a typical Jewish argument against the Gentiles, similar to the incident that the woman at the well had in chapter 4. Give me a drink of water when you pull up that next pail, would you? And what does the lady say? You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan, and you guys hate us. Why do you want me to get you a drink of water? Jesus now, in this situation, seems to be doing the same thing in reverse. You're coming to me, a Jew, calling me son of David, but we call you guys dogs. You sure you want something from me? Are you sure? Do you know who you're coming to? I'm of the Jewish lineage. Why would you come to a known enemy to ask for help? He really wants to know what her motive is. Jesus seems to be saying, you know that the Jewish people see Gentiles as dogs. Why are you coming to me for help? Her response is just the response that he was waiting and or hoped for. Instead of discouragement and frustration, the woman responds with wisdom that could only come from God, for she knew that God is truly kind and compassionate to all who seek them, whether Jew or Gentile. When we look at the very nature of Jesus, is this the only Gentile that ever came to him for healing? So we know that his character isn't that he doesn't deal with the Gentiles and only the Jews. He deals with both. But now he's in the pagan territory and there's a woman who comes to him who, a Gentile, who, who is a Gentile what does she want and what does she really need? As a reiteration, Albert Barnes writes, Jesus cannot be understood as identifying, or excuse me, as intending to justify or sanction the use of terms or calling names. He meant to try her faith. As if he said, you are a Gentile, I'm a Jew. The Jews call themselves children of God and you vilify, excuse me, and you they vilify and abuse calling a dog. The woman says, the woman says this, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Which is the third point, the woman's faith brings deliverance to her daughter. In Mark's gospel, we get that the girl was not even with the woman. The Roman centurion that comes to Jesus, whose servant was on the deathbed, did not bring the servant and actually did not want Jesus to come to his house. Do you see the humility and the desire and the desperation of those who were outsiders compared to those who were insiders? The church has a tendency to do this today. See, the, the difference is <clears throat> that those on the outside were afraid to bring on the inside because they carry blemishes and marks and all of that from the culture in which they have been nurtured. And we think, well, we have to continue to nurture that in them or they'll walk away. Or we have some people on the more legalistic side of the tradition of Christianity that say we can't bring the unclean into a place that's clean and holy for it will defile the sanctuary of God, which is such a farce. Jesus went into the places where most Christians dare not tread. 
which is not any different than the Jews of his day. He went into areas and places the Jews refused to go because they would be deemed unclean ceremonially. And then when they come to him and he goes to them, they find something more than they could have bargained for. You see, they come to him for a miracle, believing he truly is a Jewish Messiah, but he gives them everlasting life and tells them, if you want things to change, don't stay where you are. Get out of your current situation and follow me. Just like he did with the disciples, I'll make you fishers of men. You who are in prostitution, come out of that. Don't continue to live a life like that. Sin no more. Don't do this anymore. The guy by the pool of Bethesda, remember? He gets healed by Jesus. And Jesus sees him again later on. And what does he say to him? Straighten up your life. Do not straighten up your life, stop sinning, or something worse might happen. Do you know what he's saying? He isn't threatening him. He isn't saying, you might get cast down with a horrible disease. You know what he's saying? Change your life. Stop sinning because the worst thing that can happen is losing your soul. Going to hell is a pretty bad set of circumstances. So now that you've been given physical wholeness, don't neglect the more important things than your physical well-being. This woman answered with a humble faith. Instead of her dander getting up or instead of her feathers getting ruffled by Jesus's pressing statement, she's saying, you know, you're right. You Jews do see us as dogs, but even the dogs get to eat the scraps. You cannot come to Christ except humbly. You can come to him for a handout, and yes, he does give handouts, but if you really want life change, sometimes he tests us. We don't like the test because tests are hard. How many of you have had tests before? Whether they're tests at school or college, uh, whether it's a test for employment, uh, whether it's a medical test. How many of you enjoy tests? But see, you know what a test does? It is a proof of what's in here and in here. A test can determine what somebody's real intent is. A test can show us things that are hidden. And Jesus desires that we would pass the test. No matter how difficult, how hard, or what valleys it takes us through, The Apostle Paul, the great evangelist to the Gentiles, in his letter to the church of Rome, writes this in Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, not just the Jews, but listen to what he says. 
saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Why the Jew first? Because Jesus was a Jew. He was a Messiah through the line of David, and the Jews were first to receive the message. That's how it came. This good news tells us, Paul says, how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by what? Faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Bruce Barton writes, unlike many of the Jewish listeners, this Gentile woman understood Jesus' parable. Her answer was wise, for she explained to Jesus by extending for she explained to Jesus by extending his parable that the children who love the pets often drop morsels of food to them. Not all the Jews accepted Jesus, while some Gentiles chose to follow him. Why couldn't she have some of those crumbs? that the Jews didn't want. She adroitly pointed out that even the dogs ate with and not after the children. How many of you have pets and you, or you tell your kids don't feed, don't feed them under the table? See, this is what the analogy is in this parable Jesus is saying to this woman. They're eating with the family. All she wanted right then was just a few crumbs, or one crumb in particular, one miracle of healing for her daughter. Dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. Our worship team's going to come forward and close us out this morning, but as they do, I'm going to read you a quote from N.T. Wright, one of my favorite authors. He writes, of one thing we can be sure, the early church didn't make all this up. They would have probably left this instance out of the scripture if it wasn't true. Okay? From very early on in the Christian movement, the acceptance of Gentiles on equal terms with Jews was fought for within the church, and the battle was won by Paul in particular. What we have here, as startling to us perhaps, is as it was to Jesus' followers at the time, is that this woman's faith broke through the waiting period. The time which Jesus would come to Jerusalem as Israel's Messiah, be killed and raised again, and then send his followers into all the world. The disciples and perhaps Jesus himself are not ready for Calvary. This foreign woman is already insisting upon Easter. (laughs) It's been said that strength and courage aren't always measured in medals and victories. They are measured in struggles they overcome. The strongest people aren't always people who win. They are the people who don't give up when they lose. Faced with desperate circumstances and uncertainty, and there's nowhere else to turn for help, don't be surprised when you turn to God and find silence and testing. This is where many people give up. It's during times of silence and testing that most people walk away from faith in Christ. But this Gentile woman 
who should have walked away was the one who turned in and pushed through and was met with praise for her faith and healing for her daughter. If you're in a boat offshore coming into the beach, sometimes you'll be on the crest of the wave and sometimes you'll be in the trough. You can't always be on the crest, but that doesn't mean anything for the shore. Just remember that life is full of ups and downs, but there is a Savior who traversed the brutalities of the cross to bring us salvation and hope from our desperately hopeless circumstances. My hope and my prayer for you today, because I know many of you have struggles beyond anything that I could ever imagine, but they're not beyond anything that God has ever imagined. You see, that's why God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to the world, that those who believe in him would not perish. And he's not talking about physically, he's talking about eternally, but have everlasting If that is not where your hope lies, then where does your hope lie? The world is on fire, ladies and gentlemen. I can get easily depressed by looking at the headlines each and every day. I hear the prophecies and read the Bible. I understand all of the stuff I necessarily need to know and understand as much as I can. And the reality is it looks dark and the times are palpable for Jesus' return. And we can either look with hope or fear. I don't know where you are. My tendency is to lean into the pessimism and fear and become cynical. I'm like, well, there you go again. Oh, I guess this is just, well, whatever, okay, that's my luck. Or you can say, you know what? My hope and my true victory is the one who overcome sin and death. Without him, I am, I'm lost. So, as much as I don't do this and as much as I need to do this, I need to praise God on the crest of the wave and in the troughs. Because as long as my boat is heading in the direction of where he is, I know I'm going to get to where I'm going. I may get wet. It may get rocky. I may fall overboard and try to climb back into the boat again, but I'm still heading in the direction. Don't give up in the trials and the testing. Lean in even more. Humble yourself before the Lord and let him lift you up. Let's pray. Lord, we don't like tests. <laughs> we don't like pain, frustration, discouragement. We don't like any of those things. And Lord, we have a million questions that need answered, but there's only one answer that comes. And that answer is faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And truly, when push comes to shove, that is the only answer we really need. 
I just guess we've been conditioned to think we need more of something else than what you've been able to give us and what you've given us is everything. We become blinded, I guess, by the world's rules and the world's idea of success. And we think it's, we've got to have more. There's got to be something more when you've given us everything we need. Forgive us where we continue to look for a Messiah when he's standing right in front of us. Forgive us when we're looking for a Savior to save us when he's already done the work necessary to bring salvation. And no matter what's happening in our lives, God, we know that you are the master and savior and it's in you that we have hope. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.